if uh, you appreciate our worship team, would you just give them a round of applause? If only you knew what went on behind the scenes to get ready for a Sunday morning. Uh, if only you knew. <laughs> we love our worship team and our leaders. They do a great job for us week in and week out, and we are so thankful for them. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 is going to be where we start today. We're going to jump over to a few different passages as well. It should be on the screen for you a little bit later if you don't have your Bibles with you. I heard something interesting this week, and I, I'm not going to try to come to you and preach to you everything that I, that I took in this week because we'd be here till well, next year probably. But um, somebody said that I thought this was interesting, and, and I don't want to, maybe I shouldn't even say it, but I'm going to anyway. So um, they said, get your Bibles out, turn to the, you know, something's very important about bringing our Bibles to church, Amen. And this, this speaker said, you know what, if you don't have your Bible, then you need to repent, and then we'll help you, we'll help you move on from that. But uh, bring your Bible. If it's, if, it's a hard, if it's a hard cover or a hard leather cover or hard copy, that's one thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with having it on your phone, having it on your tablet. Wherever you can get God's Word is a good thing. Amen? We need to be eating God's Word. <laughs> And we need to be devouring that and learning from it. So if you have your Bibles, whatever means you have your Bibles, take that out, look at it. If not, we'll help you out today as well on the screen. And I'm looking forward to that as well. I want to ask you this question before we get going. Now, we're going to start a new series today for the, for the next few weeks leading up to revival. And it's a, it's, a, it's a series called Where's Your Heart? Where's Your Heart? And it's all about a promotion that we've all been given. How many of you have ever been promoted before? A few of you. Okay. You know, I was, let me tell you a quick story as we get started in this. I was 17 years old. I, I had actually, um, I had actually dropped out of public school at 16 because I felt like it was a waste of time. Any 16-year-olds believe the same thing? Good, nobody. Good. Don't listen to that part of it, okay? <laughs> But I, I dropped out of school at 16 so I could homeschool, so I could finish faster. One of my main reasons for doing that is that I wanted to work. And so I was 16, and I, I did my schoolwork at night, and I went to work full-time at 16. And I was, I was excited to do that. I, I was 16, and I wanted to get, I wanted some, some money to spend is really what I, what I wanted. And so I, I did it that way, and, and my parents uh, signed off on that, and it was, it was a good transition for me. Well, one of the jobs that I took is I started working for a, a Kmart store. And I was 17 years old, and I, I was the only teenager, let alone young adult, that was working at Kmart during the day shift. Okay, there were all older people working the day shift, but I was front end, I was at the cash registers, and I was a cashier at 17 years old. And I wasn't there very long, and then all of a sudden my manager came up to me and she said, BJ, um, she, we had built a relationship, she was a very nice lady. She had actually um, been diagnosed with cancer, and she was kind of just waiting for her health to, she was going through treatments, but it was very fast progressing. And she goes, I need to replace myself. And I thought, well, that's interesting. How do you want me to help? She goes, I'm picking you. And I said, I'm 17. I can't do that. She goes, yes, you can. And she, she groomed me and she mentored me and she trained me. And at 17 years old, I was promoted to front end manager at this Kmart store. Now, I know what you may be thinking. That's that could be why Kmart's are closing all around the country. I don't know. I don't know. Um, 
But at 17 years old, I was moved from day shift to night shift, and I became the front-end manager at Kmart in Lincoln, Nebraska. And it was, it was stressful. It was crazy. I couldn't believe it at 17 what I was doing uh, to manage all of the store's cash registers, basically. And it was, it was overwhelming for me, but I was so excited because I had been promoted to manager. Now, that didn't mean that I owned anything or that I owned the store. I had any really any decision-making power, but I was promoted to the position of manager. So today I want to do something as we introduce this new series to you. Each and every one of you, no matter what age you are, no matter where your lot in life is right now, I want to bestow upon you, I want to empower you, I want to equip you. You are being promoted today to manager. Hey, one of you is excited, yeah. When you are promoted to manager, God's Word speaks to us in a whole different way. And we get to learn some things about our hearts, about where our heart is. So I want you over the next three weeks to, to understand that you now have a promotion. Every time somebody talks to you, you are now the manager. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you are promoted. Okay, now look at your neighbor and say, you are a manager. There you go. Everybody now has been promoted, okay? We are good to go for the next few weeks. <laughs> so we're going to be looking a little bit more closely at where our heart is and how we as managers handle our heart. Because you know something that's very important. You will serve what you love. You will serve what you love. And as a manager, we can show our love in how we serve. And so we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks. One of the things we're going to talk about today, though, is how we manage our time. How we manage our time. Did you know, I looked this up this week, and it's, it's very interesting. The, did you know that the life expectancy, the average life expectancy of a human being in America has actually increased over the last four years? Did you know that? I didn't realize that. I thought it was going the other way. But that, I guess that's a good thing. It used to be, four years ago, it used to be that the average lifespan of an American was 76 years old. Now, we could get into differences between male and female and all that stuff. But it's actually gone up. The average lifespan now is 78 years old. Now, if you go talk to some Pike County doctors, they will tell you in Pike County it's about 98. But we're going to deal with 78 for the context of this message, okay? So 78 years old. Did you realize when you focus on those 78 years, this is how we end up spending them on average? Listen to this. This is interesting. 22 of those 78 years you will spend sleeping. Six years you will spend waiting in line. Fifteen years of that you will spend working. Six years, you will spend eating. Yeah. Overachieve. Yeah. Now, I don't want to hear anything from Greg on this one. Three years, you will spend in meetings, okay, of that 78 years. One year of that 78 years, you're going to spend looking lost, okay? It's just how it's going to be. One whole year of that average lifespan, you will, you will spend opening and reading junk mail. Yikes. Lord, help us. And this one's got to be a little bit less in, in, in Pike County, but one whole year of that lifespan, you're going to spend at red lights or stop signs. One whole year of your life. Isn't it amazing 
how time flies. Time flies. In your outline, if you have that out, you can see the words of Paul. He says this, it's very important. Be careful how you live. Making the most of every opportunity. And I want to ask you this question this morning. Could it be that what we need is not more time in this world, but rather what we need is to be better managers of our time? Oh, some light bulbs just went off. I just promoted you to what? You are all accountable now for your time because you are now a manager of your time. Imagine with me this morning that, that you have created an invention. You have, you, have, you have worked out all the bugs. You've worked out all the kinks. This invention is a time-saving gadget. Okay? It's a time-saving gadget, and it will save everybody time to be able to do what they want to do. You've invented it. You've gotten the patents. You've worked out all the kinks and all the prototypes. Now you have that invention ready to go. You're going to make a fortune on this invention. But here's one thing that's happened. It's gotten so big that you now cannot manage the whole thing. And so now you've turned over that invention to somebody else to manage it for you. You've given it to them. You've given them the manual. You've given them everything they need to make sure that this invention continues to do what it's supposed to do. And they begin managing it. It isn't long before they take your invention and they think they know best. They take your invention. They want to tweak it. They think, you know what? This could work better this way. Maybe we should do it this way on the sales pitch. And maybe we should fix this about the manual. It's not really working right. And they take your invention and they totally destroy it. And then they have the nerve to blame you for it. Well, you invented it. You created this. It's got to be your fault that it doesn't work anymore, even though they've made a mess of it. How would that make you feel this morning? Probably pretty upset. But if we ask the question, I wonder how God feels about us when it comes to our time. How we manage our life. You see, in fact, God created you. God not only created you, He gave you a purpose. He gave you a reason to live. And in fact, He gave us a manual to live by. Pastor, that's not a very black and white thing when it comes to certain issues. Well, maybe so. But we believe that everything in this, for the purposes of getting to heaven, salvation, sanctification, how to live a holy life, is not wrong. Amen? In fact, we use a big word around here called inerrant. Inerrant means it's not wrong when it comes to the things of salvation. In other words, God created you, He designed you for a purpose, and He gave you the manual, and yet He hands it over to us to manage. And then we have the nerve sometimes, and I don't know, I'm, I've, I've done this, so I'm not just pointing the finger at you, I've done this too. We have the nerve when our life doesn't go just as we think it should, to blame Him. Well, you created me. You put me in this situation. You gave me this opportunity, and we blame God. God, why can you do this to me? And he says, you know what? I promoted you. I entrusted it to you. And you have the nerve to blame me for how you're managing 
your life and your time. You see, God created us. He knows how we function. He knows the purpose that we've been given. And this month, I believe that God wants to show us how we can be the best managers that we can be when we trust Him with our life. Amen? Let's look at God's Word this morning to see what He has to say to us. From Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading with verse number 8. Now, as I read this text today, if you're following along in your Scripture, in your Bible, I want you to, to be assured that it was, it was human beings that put these numbers in here, and it was human beings that put the subtitles in here, okay? But all of this is ordained by God, amen? So let's read, starting with verse number 8. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to challenge us this morning, if we are going to make the most of every opportunity, there's some things that we must do in order to check where our heart is when it comes to our time. The first thing is this, if you're taking notes, the first thing is this, take time to be holy. Take time to be holy. Romans 13, verse 11, we're going to hear some familiar words for what we just read, but hear the words of Paul to to a different church in Rome. Here he says, another reason for right living is that you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for the coming of our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Verse 12, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So don't live in darkness. Get rid of evil deeds. Shed them like dirty clothes. Clothe yourselves with the armor of right living and those who live in the light. We should be decent and true in everything we do so that everyone can approve of our behavior. Don't participate in wild parties and getting drunk or in adultery and immoral living or in fighting and jealousy. But let the Lord Jesus Christ take control of you and don't think of ways to indulge your evil desires. There's a couple words that Paul uses in both of these passages that we need to take heed of this morning. He says, wake up. Wake up. He says, put aside the deeds of darkness and then put on the armor of right living. In other words, Paul is telling us today, we need to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody might ask a simple question. Pastor, If how can I take time to be holy? This is how. We must clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. There's nothing you or I can do to become holy. 
We are only made holy as we allow Jesus Christ to come in our lives and change us. We are only made holy because He is holy. Okay? There's nothing you and I can do to earn holiness. We must allow and surrender our lives and say, God, I'm tired of this old way. I'm going to take off the clothes of the old and I'm going to put on the clothes of the light because that's how I become more like you. Holiness is Christ in us. Christ on us. Christ all around us, if you will. If I can use those liberties here. Each and every day, you and I, we wake up that the Lord gives us a new day. We get out from our beds, and, and uh, if you're like most people, you probably wear different clothes to bed than you wear to work or during the day. Uh, if you're like my daughter, that's not the case. She goes to bed in her clothes, and she wakes up in her clothes. And so this, this illustration doesn't apply for her, but she's not in here, so it's okay. Uh, but most of us wear different clothes at night than we do in the morning. And we wake up, and, and we, we get ready for the day, and what do we do? We take off our night clothes, and we put on our light clothes. There's many of you that probably have night clothes that would not be appropriate to wear in the light. Amen? We don't want to see your dark clothes. We don't want to see them. Okay, leave them in the closet, leave them in the bedroom. That's where they stay, okay? That's why we have to get up and we have to put on new clothes because we go and we represent something that's more important than what's going on when we go to sleep. That's a silly illustration, but it's true. When we, when we take off the old and we put on the new, we take time to say, God, I need you in my life. Just like we take time... Aren't you glad this morning that when I got up, I changed my clothes and got ready for the day? You would have to be looking at somebody you probably didn't want to look at this morning. Okay, I, I shaved my face, I did my hair, I washed my body, I got ready and I put on new clothes for the day. But just as we do that, God says, I need you to take time to be holy. I need you to take time to, to put aside your, your thoughts, your desires, your wants, and I need you to spend some time with me so I can shape your new thoughts, your new wants, your new desires. I take off the old. I say, God, I want to spend time with you, and I put on the new. Pastor, that's a great, that's a great concept. Take time to be holy. Clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ. But how do I do that? I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I'm busy. You know, the, the reality of it is, is if we don't take time daily to pray, we won't become like Jesus. If we don't take time daily to get into His Word and to read His letter to us, His love letter to us, we won't have time to become holy. If we don't take time to come in and to worship God as individuals in our home, but also to come in here corporately as a body to worship Him, if we don't take time for that, we will not become holy. If we don't take time to fellowship with other believers, to witness to those that don't know Him, if you don't take time to be holy, you will fall back. Whew, there's a good old Nazarene term. I should hear some amens on that from some good old Nazarenes. Maybe this term is better. If you don't take time to be holy, you will backslide. You will start to slip back. 
into your old way. You will start to slip back into what you want and you desire. Well, well, pastor, how is that possible if I've committed my life to Christ? Because you're not committed to Him in your time. It's, it's easy for me, even as a pastor, as a, as a person who has to get up here. I'm, I'm, I hope in, in, our, in our almost uh, in our year and a half of being together now as your pastor that you've seen some sides of me that, that show you I'm, I'm just like you, except you've called and, and confirmed that call that I get to come up here and share all my flaws with you rather than you come up here and share your flaws with us. Amen? There's times when if I'm not in God's Word regularly... My thought life goes to pot. There's times when I'm not praying as, as much as I need to be praying that, that I begin to say and do things that are, that are from the flesh. Does that make me a sinner? No, but it doesn't make me as close to God as I want to be. It doesn't take long for us to slip back. We start to desire those things of the night. We start to desire those things of the darkness. Why? Because... Darkness, the Bible says that darkness is good for a season. It says that sin is enjoyable for a time. But we shouldn't stay there. You see, the devil knows that if he can keep you busy, if he can keep you too busy, that you will not be spiritually strong. And Paul tells us, wake up. Wake up. Friends, Satan is trying to steal from us what God has intended to give us. He's trying to take it away from us. Let me, let me give you this brief illustration. If you were to go home today from, from church, you, you get done with church, you're on this spiritual high, you've just encountered the living God, and you're, you're excited, you've been in God's house, and we didn't cancel because of the weather, so we already kicked Him in the face, amen? And you get home, and you find out that you forgot to close your garage door, and everything in your house is stolen. It's gone. How would your attitude change right then and there? Some of you might even blame God. God, I went to church for you, and now you let this happen. No, I'm just kidding. None of you would do that, okay? But we would be upset. And reality is that we did it. We left the garage door open. We left the door unlocked. We left our valuables unattended and uncared for. That's the same thing we do in our spiritual life when we get too busy for Him. We get too busy for God and we start doing our own things, even good things. You start going to church every time you can. You start serving everywhere you can. You start doing all of this and all of that. And it's all good things. And yet there's no time for you and God to get alone and say, you know what, God, I need you to fill me up. And we, then we wonder why we're so spiritually blah. It's because we're not taking time to be holy. You see, you begin to serve what you love. If Satan can get you to do all of these things and to get you too busy for time with God, he's got you too busy for what you need to be doing. I want to challenge us this morning. When it comes to testing of, of our heart with our time, where is your time? Where is your heart? I want to challenge you to tithe your time with God. And I don't have a visual for this, but I want you to, if you have, if you can jot this down on the side of your bulletin or somewhere else, I want you to jot this down. Every one of us has the same amount of time in a day. Did you realize that? A couple of you did, okay? We all have 24 hours a day. 
seven days a week. That means we all have 168 hours a week. We're gonna, I'm going to be generous in some of these, okay? You're going to sleep eight hours a day, some of you, times seven days a week. That's 56 hours a week we're going to take off of that time. I'm not even making you tithe on the gross, okay? I'm being a real uh, liberal pastor here this morning, okay? I'm going to let you tithe on the, on the net of our time, okay? Greg gets it. He understands what I'm talking about here, okay? We're going to tithe our time. 168 hours a week minus 56 for sleep, and then many of you go to work for eight hours a day. Some of you even work six days a week. So we're going to even take off another 48 hours of your week because of work. So now we're down to 64 hours in your week. 64 hours in your week. If we were to tithe that 64 hours, we would have 6.4 hours a week that we need to give to God. Correct? Is that how your tithe math works with my tithe math? Okay, you following along? Good. So here's, here's I'm going to give you credit for some of these things already, okay? Six and a half hours. Pastor, how do I give six and a half hours to God? Wow, I can't pray that much. I'm not that spiritual. Here's how you do it, okay? We worship on Sunday here in this local body. We worship on Sundays twice on Sundays. Can you believe that? One to one and a half hours per service. That's two and a half hours right there on Sundays. Now, if you go to Sunday school or you go to a small group, you're giving another hour a week to God. So there's three and a half hours. Then if you come to Wednesday night on top of that, you're giving another hour to God. That's four and a half hours. And then if you're one of those few that, that is ministering throughout the week and you're given another hour to ministry, you've already hit your six and a half hours. But most of us kind of double up in one of those things. We come to a couple things and so we're, we're discrediting about an hour of that. Okay, There's not many of us here that probably give that six and a half hours because we're doing all of those things and serving in an extra hour somewhere. Usually one of those overlaps. So give me, let me give you an example. If you, if you come and you serve in the nursery during Sunday school hour or during church hour, you know, on your time to serve. So you're not getting credit for Sunday school, but you're getting credit for ministry. So it's just one hour instead of two. You follow me? Okay. So that means we all have at least one more hour to give a week. 60 minutes. 60 minutes. I'm going to be generous to you because you're going to come to church on Sunday and you're going to worship God. So let's just say for 60 minutes, that means 10 minutes a day you need to spend alone with God. So we just broke down 168 hours down to a manageable time for everybody in here to say, you know what, I can give 10 minutes to God. And I want to challenge you this week. I just want you to start measuring it. Sunday's the first day of a new week, and so I want you to start measuring it, okay? Just spend 10 minutes every single day with God this week, and I want you to see how your life will change. When you take time to be holy... You become the manager that God has entrusted you to be. You begin to see, well, pastor, I don't have 10 minutes. My schedule is so crazy. It's so busy. I don't have 10 minutes. You need to make 10 minutes to be with God because the question is, where's your heart? Where's your heart when it comes to how you manage your time? We must take time to be holy. The goal of the Christian life is to be more like Jesus. I promise that you that if you tithe your time with God, you take time to be holy, you will become more like Jesus than ever before. 
You will begin to serve what you say you love. Your time, your calendar, your, your day will change because it will become clear where your heart is. Take time to be holy. The second thing is this. We must take time for yourself. Take time for yourself. You will never be effective and consistent if you do not take time for yourself. You will never be effective and consistent if you do not take time for yourself. You see, you must understand yourself. You must get to know yourself. You need to understand who you are. We sang that song today. I am who you say I am. Who are we saying that to? We're saying it to God. He's the creator. He's the inventor of you and of me. He created you perfectly designed for his purposes for you. He wired you just the way you are. Why? Because you're special to him. So it's your job and my job to understand who we are. When we sing that song, I am who you say I am, we need to take time to figure out who am I in God. I am who you say I am. We've got to figure out our strengths, our weaknesses. We've got to figure out what our purpose is. Why did God put me here for such a time as this? What do you want to do with me, God? We've got to know what our needs are. Our physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, social needs. And believe it or not, we've got to come to find a balance in these areas. See, I've known people that have been very spiritual. Very spiritual. Very, very healthy in their time with God. They spend so much time with God. They're, they're really doing a great deal of good for the kingdom. And yet they get so unhealthy emotionally and physically that they just burn out and they're done. They get to the end of their fuse and there's nothing left and they just explode. And it's over. Why? Because they didn't take time for self. The Bible says it this way. It says, take a Sabbath. You know what a Sabbath is? It's a day of rest. It's a day of rest, a, a, a spiritual rest, a physical rest. It's all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Even Jesus got alone for himself. We got to take time for ourselves. There's many times in, in my own life where I'll get to that point of weariness. I'll get to that point where I'm I'm just struggling, and 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 usually for me it's uh, it, it's been, it becomes evident at home because I become irritable. Anybody else like that? I just want to make sure I'm not alone. A couple of you. Okay, good. I'm not alone. Um, and so my wife, that's her trigger. Oh, BJ's getting irritable. And she'll come to me and she'll say, in all the love and grace that she has for me, and she says, BJ, you need to go be you. You need to go take care of you for a minute. And she knows for me that means I need to get away. I need to go play golf. I need to go... Go just veg on my time. She knows that. I mean, and she's serious about it too because if I don't take time for me, I'm no good to them. And she will tell me that. I believe it or not, she'll say, BJ, you need to go play golf. That's, that's why that we budget for me to go play golf, believe it or not, so that I can go take care of myself. I have to do it because I know that that's how I'm wired. If I just give and give and give and I empty myself of who I am and my strengths and everything that I have into something, that I'm no good to anybody else. I've got to take time for myself. You've got to take time for yourself. 
I'm not talking about a a I'm not talking about a um, a, a splurge of of just pampering yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. There's times for that. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not saying that's what you always have to do. But you have to know who you are. You have to know how you're wired. You have to know what fills you up instead of what drains you. you got to know those things so that you can take time to be the best you you can be. Take time for yourself. We have to take time to be holy, and we got to take time for ourselves. The third thing is this. You've got to take time for your family. You've got to take time for your family. We're going to spend a, some more time here in a couple weeks, but let me just say this. If you don't take time for your family, they will not have time for you. If you don't take time for your family, they will not have time for you. I've seen it and you have too. People who are too busy for their kids and they wonder why they lose them to the things of the world. We kind of push our children aside sometimes for the sake of career, for the sake of advancement, for the sake of promotion, for the sake of bettering who we are. And we push aside our family at times when they need us the most. And then we wonder why when they get down in years, why they're leaving our security and why they're going and finding acceptance and love somewhere else. It's because we don't take time for them now. We've got to take time for our family. This happened in my life when we were in Iberia. We were in Iberia, and, and I thought, you know what, this, this church needs some, some life. God, what do you want me to do as the pastor of this church and of this community? And I felt very convicted that I needed to be uh, doing everything I could to reach young families. And, and, and so I decided, you know what, I'm going to do the, the most noble thing I can do. I'm going to go drive a bus. I, we didn't need the money. I didn't do it for a second job. I didn't do it for that. I did it so that I could be in the lives of these students and their families. And, and I went and I passed the test and I, and I got my CDL and I was so pumped about it. I even met one of my good friends through that process that I'm still talked to today. It's, it's wonderful. And as I began to drive bus at the Iberia School District, uh, I got to interact with a lot of people. I got to, I got to meet a lot of families. I got to I got to talk with kids. I got to help them. I got to pray for them. I got to invite them to church. It was awesome. But one day I came home. <laughs> and little sweet Emma says to me, Dad, I don't like it that you're gone so much. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm here as much as I have been before. I'm, I'm, she goes, you're not here in the mornings when we're getting ready for school. And then when we come home from school, you're not here till dinner time. And those are, those, are, those are key moments that we just want to see you. That hurt. That hurt. So I looked her in the eyes. I got down to her level and I said, Emma, you have my word. I will quit driving bus at the end of this year so that I can be here for you. So that's what I did. I quit driving bus. I, 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 I wanted to make sure that I was there for my little girl. And I don't know if, if it'll make a difference in the end, but I hope that it showed her at that time that guess what, little Emma? I value you. You are important to me. My family 
matters to me. My family matters. Some of you know this. Some of you have experienced how we operate in our family and our schedule from a day-to-day time frame. And, And you realize that when we get to a certain time on the clock, that that time is family time. That's prime time for us. We protect that with everything that we have. Now, are there cases where we have to invade that time? Sure there are. But we make sure we make family a priority. We make family a priority. Ephesians 5.21, a little bit further down from our text this morning, if you have that, I want to read this passage to you. This is very important, and it helps us to see why family is so important. Ephesians 5.21 says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now get this, we didn't leave children out, did he? Chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents. Why? Because you belong to the Lord, and it's the right thing to do honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise if you honor your father father and mother things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth fathers do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the lord what, all, what is that all saying? It's saying this simply. You serve what you love. Where is your heart? If you say you love your family, take time for your family. Make them priority. Make them priority. We've got to take time to be holy. We've got to take time for yourself. Take time for your family. And finally, we need to take time for your church. Ephesians 5.25 says this, And you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. What did he do? He gave up his life for her. If there's one thing that you and I must never forget, it's that you and I are the church. Amen? The church is not a building. The church is not a campus. The church is not a program or a process. The church is people. The church is you and me. And Christ, what we just read, Christ loved the church so much that he died for you and for me. The church. He died for us. (laughs) If Jesus 
loved the church and gave himself up for her. Shouldn't we do the same? As you study the New Testament church, you can't get away from the fact that every born-again believer and child of God has a spiritual gift, a talent that's been given to you. As you accept that free gift, God says, here, I'm giving you a talent, I'm giving you a gift. Now use it for what? For the church. For the church. To be used in ministry. To be used to build up the body of Christ. To strengthen believers and to win the lost. That's why we've all been given a gift. It's not so we can sit here and look pretty. It's not so that we can have the best programs and the best process in town. It's so that we can give time to the body, to the church. Here's what Paul's really saying to us. If you're too busy for your church, you're too busy. You're too busy. Once again, you know what? We worship on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. We have Wednesday night small groups. We have prayer meeting. And there's people that are involved in ministry to others. It's such a great blessing when we see that we have a good balance in all of those things. Guess what? When you've been promoted, you all were promoted today, remember? You're a manager of your time. How much time are you giving your church? How much time are you giving your family? How much time are you giving yourself? How much time are you giving to God? You see, you're a manager now. You've got to manage what God has created. He's trusted you with it. He's trusted me with it. We're in this together. We've got to take time for the things that matter. We've got to take every opportunity to do what Paul says, to wake up, not let the enemy destroy and to steal our time. Amen? But we must be good stewards, good managers with what God has given each and every one of us. I want to close with this thought. There's an old adage when it comes to tithing and giving to God when some people... Uh, many pastors will tell you this when you start talking about stewardship and you start talking about time and money and talents and you start talking about these things, people get uncomfortable. And you can usually start seeing them fidget in their seat. You can start to see them, you know, well, is he preaching to me today? Is he, uh, I don't know what he's doing. But here's the thing that we must realize when it comes to being a good steward and a good manager of our time. We say We use the excuse so many times, I can't give to God can't give it to him. My week's too busy, my time's too important, and I don't have 10 minutes a day to give to him. And I would challenge us today to say, you know what? You can't afford not to give to God. You can't afford not to give to him your time. You see, it's, it's, it's been said that every man has some priority that competes with putting God first in his life. I would change that saying to say every person, just to make sure we include everybody. Every person has some priority that competes with putting God first in your life. The question for us this morning is this. What is yours? What is your priority that's competing with God? You must wake up, put it aside, take off the old clothes, put on the new clothes, and we must put on Christ and say, God, I want to be more like you today than ever before. 
And we start our day saying, God, I want you today. I want to put you on. I want, I want you in me. I want you working through me so that everything I do reflects you and not me. The reality today is that you and I will serve what we love. So where's your heart? We love our time, but are you making time for God to be first in your life? Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? As Pastor Greg has already mentioned this morning, church is not a participatory sport, or not a spectator sport, sorry. It's participatory. Each one of us is a, is a player in the game. And as we've said this morning, now you have been promoted. So I'm going to ask you as we get ready to pray to close our service today. Don't just listen to what I am going to pray. But would you pray and would you ask God today to help you examine your time this week? Would you ask God to help you tithe your time to Him this week? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for using Paul to write these letters to your churches to not only challenge and, and convict and to spur us on, but Lord, I truly believe it was to encourage us as well. To encourage us to, to examine our heart and to say, God, I want to be holy as you are holy, but the only way that happens is if I'm spending time with you. God, I pray that this week you would help me to tithe my time. And God, I pray that it wouldn't just be out of obligation and requirement, but Lord, it would be out of a desire for intimacy with you. And as I tithe my time with you this week, God, and I give you my time and I, and I surrender that to you, God, I pray that you would shape my entire life to be what you want it to be, to make my family priority, to take care of myself to give time to my church. God, I pray that in doing all of that, you would get glory, you would get honor, and that you would help us every step of the way so that when we're asked, where's your heart? We can answer, God has my heart. I love Him. Thank you for this day. Bring us back to continue our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As you leave today, know that God loves you and so do I. Have a great day. We'll see you tonight.